0: Pierce
1: got an MDiv from Boston University, and he works with Middlesex House of Corrections, House of Corrections as a chaplain. And uh, Tulia is working with the Boston uh, HUD, Housing and Urban Development, and PJ is just enjoying life. <laughs> They're members at our Waltham congregation. And let me see if there's anything else significant that I want to say about you guys. Um, we're just delighted mm-hmm. with what God's doing in and through you and in your, in your work and your ministry. And uh, we want to bless you guys. So we're delighted. Mm-hmm. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for my brother. Fill him with fresh anointing right now, fresh yes, grace. Sir. Open up heaven over this man's soul and pour out your word through him. And give us ears to hear, Holy Spirit. Yes, give us eyes to see. We, we ask that, that there would be transformation that comes today through your word. In Jesus'
0: name, amen. Amen. Bless. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for having me. You guys are a very welcome welcoming congregation. You guys are a good-looking congregation, too. So many smiling faces. So many... People deeply engaged in worship. Uh, this is my first time in the uh, Brighton congregation. We've been uh, in Waltham for almost two years now, and uh, we we love it there. And uh, now we love it here too. We, uh, we we feel like family already. Well, thank you for welcoming me. Thank you for having me here. Listening to me. Thank you, uh, Pastor Mark, for uh, for allowing me to to speak at your congregation this morning. Um, am I the only weirdo? that loves this hot weather, like, I'm, I'm probably, is it just me? Yes, yes, hands up. God knew what he was doing when he called me to preach this day, and he sent down a 90 degree day. Most other people would be like, ah, I've got to preach. When it's 97 degrees, I'm, I'm not up for it, but I'm so excited. A little sweat never hurt anybody, amen? Amen. Why don't we open up our Bibles, if we have them, to James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles with you, the uh, scripture will be displayed on the screen. These two short verses, it's brief, but it's dense in theological meaning. It's just two short verses, but it really gets at our identity and our mission as the people of God. It's not just about what we should do, but it's about who we are and what we're called to do by God. It's not just about the way that we're perceived by the world, but it's about what God is trying to do through us in the world. Amen? It's deeper than what it seems. Uh, I listened to, uh, I didn't get to listen to the whole thing, but I listened to a brief portion of uh, Clark's message from last week. Clark, where'd you go? He's teaching. Never mind. Clark, he, he spoke of the book of James as that, that quiet, maybe a little awkward friend who's really an outstanding person that you just want to introduce all your friends to. And when they first see that friend, they're like, hmm, I don't know about this guy, he's real quiet, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what's really going on in his mind, but when you get to know him, they're a deep and enjoyable and fun person, right? That's what he compared the book of James to. On the surface, seems like a lot of rules, a lot of do's and don'ts, but when you really get into it, it is... a a deeply, deeply touching and moving book that moves us to action, right? Now, I was a little offended by his comparison. Myself, this is my very favorite book in the entire New Testament. And if I were to preach Clark's message, no offense to Clark, but I would preach that message as that that quiet, shy, reserved friend who when you get to know them, they're really like a PhD in, in... some sort of deep science, they're the most fun person you ever met who likes to jet ski backwards and has all the friends in the world, and, but, but you just don't know him. You're getting to know uh, a person that it's a privilege to meet. This book, especially these two verses, these are two, two of my favorite verses in the entire Bible because they move us to practice religion, true religion that is acceptable before God the Father. Let's read these two verses. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word, world. Everybody say Amen. Do you want to encounter God? Somebody please say yes. I thought I was in church. Amen. Do you want to have an encounter with God? Do you want to come into his presence, step into his presence, experience the Holy Spirit? Do you want to leave completely changed? Do you want to know God, meet him, encounter him? Somebody say yes. Come on. Yes. When I, talk, when, I, when I ask questions, I want answers. This is a, this, I don't want to feel lonely up here. Fe, feel like this is, we're doing this together. That's what God meant for religion to be. Religion, that word has a history, right? James uses, I, I, I did the, the seminary thing, so I have to throw in some, some fancy Greek terms. I feel obligated because I paid for the degree. Thraceia is the word that James uses for religion. He's referring to the ceremonies, the chants, the sacrifices, the outward actions that people do to encounter God, to invite God's presence into the present, to invite God's presence into the present moment so that we can meet God and serve him. Right? We have turned religion, the world has turned religion into everything that is legalistic and hypocritical. When we hear religion today in our churches, we think legalism. We think, oh no, we, we don't want to be religious. We want to be faithful. We don't want to be religious. We want to be people who believe in Jesus. But religion is not a dirty word. It's in the Bible, and it's not spoken of negatively. Religion is something that's good. Somebody say, I want to be religious. To be religious. Say it again louder. Amen. You can say amen and hallelujah whenever you want. You, you don't have to wait for me to whenever you want, and, yeah, there it is. You sound like a Christian. We want to glorify God with our religion, right James is trying to teach us what he meant what God meant for religion to be right i 've come up with the Van Dunk dictionary definition of religion. It is. Outward actions that bring people into an awareness of God so that they can serve Him. I'll say that again. Religion, in my understanding, is outward actions that bring people into an awareness of God so that they can serve Him. It's what we do with our hands and feet, it's what we enact in our lives, right? Now, it's very easy to take those actions and empty them of their spiritual value. It's very easy to go through the motions of faith, of Christianity, of church, and leave unchanged. It's very easy not to practice pure, acceptable religion before God the Father as James prescribes. However, what James is trying to get us to understand is that religion is a good and godly thing that we want to practice. Right? Now, pure religion, according to these two, two verses, if we could put them back up on the screen. According to these two verses... I see three areas where true religion is enacted. The tongue, the hands, and the heart. Can you say that with me? The tongue, the the hands, hands. and the heart. Let's say it one time all together. The tongue, the the hands, and the heart. Amen. Everybody, stick out your tongue. We're going to embody this. Stick out your tongue. I know your mother probably told you it was rude to stick out your tongue at people, but the preacher told you to do it, so go ahead and do it. Stick out your tongue. Wave your hands. Wiggle your fingers. High five somebody. High five. Double five somebody. And the heart. Put your hand on your chest. Feel your heartbeat. Tim looks like he's been working out. I don't know if he can feel his heartbeat through his chest pectorals are fake I see them Tim you might have to just go ahead put your finger in your neck find your pulse get in connection with that heartbeat the tongue the hands and the heart right verse 26 let's pull that, that verse right back up verse 26 is speaking about keeping a tight rein on our tongues bridling the tongue controlling it and making it say what God calls us to say and not anything else Verse 27 speaks of the hands and the heart, caring after orphans and widows, using our hands to care for the most vulnerable in our society, to do something on behalf of God to advance his kingdom. And the heart, to keep oneself unstained, unpolluted by the sin, the suffering, the death, the evil that lurks in our world, that characterizes the world around us, to guard our hearts from allowing those things to infect our hearts, and seep in where the Word of God should remain and should dominate. The hand, the tongue, the hands, and the heart. If there's one thing you're going to go home saying today, it's the tongue, the hands, and the heart. Amen. 20, uh, verse 26, the tongue. The verse says that we're to keep a tight rein on our tongues, or in other translations, to bridle our tongues. The imagery here is equestrian. We're talking about horses. Now, also in Clark's message was how people from Texas, everybody's on a ranch and everybody rides horses. Any any Texans? Hey, do do you ride? Was he stereotyping? Do you all ride horses? (laughs) Right. James is comparing the tongue to this large, powerful animal. Right. The typical horse, I have Google, I looked it up, probably six feet tall, about eight feet long, maybe 600 pounds. It's a powerful animal. Right. When channeled to do what you ask it to do, it can take you miles and miles. It can bring you where you need to go. But when left unbridled, untamed, it can do some serious damage. Right. At the very least, it's not going to bring you where you want to go. At the worst, it could do some damage to human life, property, or worse. James speaks of bridling the tongue. The first thing I think of when I think of when I read that verse is making sure that the horse doesn't go where you don't want it to go, reining it in, making it stop when it wants to run off. And I compare that to bridling our tongues, making sure that we don't say what we're not supposed to say, reigning in what we want to say, right? How many, when they are irritated or frustrated, want to allow their tongues to run off wherever they want to go? Now, I know when I am lied to, stole from, cheated, taken advantage of, when I am frustrated and irritated, there are some ungodly words that reach the tip of my tongue. Amen? Somebody say amen. Please tell me I'm not the only one. Is anybody like me where there are thoughts that want to get translated into words that shouldn't? Right? James is calling us to rein in our tongues. Right? With a horse, you literally pull on the reins. There are times where we need to pull on the reins of our tongues and make sure we don't say the first thing that comes to our mind in our flesh. Amen? Why? Now, one thing we're going to see over and over in James is... He's prescribing actions for us to take, but it's not just to be doing something or not to be doing something. There's deeper meaning behind all of it. It all ties into our identity and our mission as the people of God, right? So why not say whatever comes to our mouth, whatever comes to our mind, right? Because if we're speaking hatred, if we're speaking out of rage, if we're speaking out of malice or dishonesty, right, we're, con- we're contradicting the mission that God has called us to, to speak life and truth and hope into people's lives and situations. Somebody say amen. God is calling us to say one thing, but if we go and say the opposite, what is contrary to God's character and contra- contrary to our identity as the people of God, right, we're working against ourselves. And we're working against the God that we serve. Does anybody want to work against God? You guys are getting this. Right? We want to make what our words say match what God's word is to this world. We don't want to speak what the enemy wants to feed this world. We don't want to speak the the evil and sin and malice that this world wants to infect us with. Amen? Right? We need to restrain our tongue to match God's identity that He has prescribed for us and the mission that he has given us to speak life and hope. Now, you don't just bridle a horse to make it stop. If all the horse ever did was stop, you'd never get anywhere. Right? You bridle a horse also to make it go. You flick the reins on the horse to make it speed off and to make it go where you want it to go. In the same way, we don't just bridle and control our tongues to make sure that we don't say what's wrong, but we got to make sure we say what's right. we got to make sure we say what's right. In this culture that we have today of keeping quiet about our faith, of it's okay if you're a Christian, as long as you do it on Sundays from 10.30 till about noon. If you want to go over a couple minutes, that's fine, or if you want to end a few minutes, that's fine, but make sure that it doesn't get into Monday. Make sure that... You can, you can talk about your faith, you can say, I'm a Christian, but make sure you don't try and convince anybody else. Make sure that it's just within yourself. Your relationship with God is for you, but not for this world or this community, right? That's what we're facing in this world today. Has anybody seen that in their lives, in their workplaces? Right? That's what we're facing today, right? But we have to bridle our tongues to make sure that we say something. Somebody say, I've got to say something. Somebody say, I've got to say something. You've got something to say. You've got something to say. Something that the world needs to hear. Something that the people in your workplace or in your home or in your family who are languishing in doubt, in hopelessness, and in sin need to hear. We have to flick the reins on our tongues and make them go. We have to say something. Somebody say, I've got to say something. amen. Amen. Amen we got to flick those reins on our tongues. We serve a talkative God, and we ought to be a talkative people. I said we serve a talkative God, and we ought to be a talkative people. God's been chatting it up since the beginning of time. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke for like seven days straight, and the whole universe came into existence, right? From the beginning of, from the beginning of human history, God was speaking to the prophets, speaking to the priests, speaking to the Israelites, speaking to his son Jesus Christ, speaking to the church, and he's speaking to us today. Now we've got to have ears to listen, but we've got to have tongues to speak that word to the people around us. Amen? Amen. Stick out your tongue one more time. Use it, please. My uh, my son, I think he's somewhere in here. He's a uh, He's learning all his body parts and he's he's doing these cute things and he he does this cute thing where he just sticks out his tongue. He'll say, Tongue, ah. And I probably, me and Tully should probably tell him to stop. We should probably teach him. That's that's rude, but it's just too cute, so we just do it right back. Where I got the idea for all of this. We serve a talkative God. We serve a talkative God and we ought to be a talkative people. We shouldn't keep quiet about the word that God has placed on our hearts. We've got to say something. We've got to proclaim the gospel in situations where people are lacking hope, where people are lacking truth, where people are lacking understanding. We have to say something. Now, the verse says that acceptable religion before God the Father is outspoken. Acceptable religion is outspoken. But outspoken religion is not always socially acceptable. I said acceptable religion before God is outspoken. But outspoken religion is not always socially acceptable. So you will run up against opposition. You will run up against people getting offended, people not wanting to hear what you have to say, and that's fine, you respond in love, but don't let that silence you. You have to say something because you've got something valuable and meaningful to say. Somebody, you can clap your hands too if you want. If, if, if the word resonates with you, you can, you, can make, you can say something. The words that we preach are powerful. right? The songs that we sing have significance. We need to say something. The hands. Lift them up one more time. Have some, high, five some, high five somebody else. Second row. Mm, 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 sorry. <laughs> the hands. Right, verse 27 says that God is calling us to look after the orphans and the widows Of our society. We're called to care for the vulnerable, defend those who are defenseless, to love those who have been used and abused by this world. Why? We're getting at deeper realities, deeper divine realities that God has caused to come into effect in our world. Why are we called to care for the vulnerable? It's not just to be nice people. It's not just to do something good and look good for people. Why? Because it's in God's character, and we're God's people. We're God's children. Right? It's just who God is. It's just what God does. And it should be who we are and what we do. It should be natural for us. God has called us to care for the vulnerable. God has been doing this since the beginning of human history. He chose Israel, a small, weak, defenseless people, and became their protector, their defender, their savior. Broke them out of slavery in Egypt. Rose them to prominence. Gave them the power that they needed to protect themselves. And gave them his love and his grace. God's been doing this since the beginning of time. There's a passage in Isaiah 58 where the people are coming before God saying, God, why aren't you blessing us? God, why are we having famine and drought? God, why aren't aren't we prospering? Why aren't you blessing us, God? We've been doing what we're supposed to do. We have been fasting. We've been sacrificing animals. We've been doing this and that that we feel like we're supposed to do, or in translated into modern terms, we've been coming to church every Sunday. We memorize the memory verses. We Sang all the songs, God, why aren't you blessing us? Here's God's reply in Isaiah chapter 58, starting with verse 5. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for a bowing of one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloths and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this what I really asked of you, all these rites and rituals? Verse 6, is, it not the ki- is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice. Somebody clap your hands if that's who you want to be. And untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free, amen. And break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? How many people have food rotting in their fridge and hungry people down the street? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. How many need to be healed? Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. I want an answer from the Lord. I don't know about you. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of the finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. I want to light up this world. And your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land appropriate for a 97-degree day and will strengthen your frame You will be a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. That's religion. That's religion. That's what God has called us to. Somebody say, I want to be religious. Somebody say it louder. I want to be religious. Amen. God has called us to be people who care for orphans and widows and the hungry and the poor, right? You can't be religious and have idle hands. It's clear in the scriptures. You can't be religious and have idle hands. We're called to care for the orphans and widows. There may be orphans and widows among us today. These people offer incredible gifts and blessings to our congregation, to our community, to our world. They are people loved of God and given strengths and abilities. But when they have needs, they present a beautiful opportunity to practice religion, to encounter God. When we meet those needs, we meet God. Somebody please say it. Amen. Does anybody want to meet God? I said when we meet those needs, we meet God. Does anybody want to meet God? Right. Now, James wasn't talking just about serving orphans and widows specifically. Yes, we are called to serve those who are without a father or a mother, those who are without a husband, those who are without a wife, those who are grieving. Yes, we're called to serve them. But James was using one example of a vulnerable population to speak of the broader category generally of vulnerable people. Anybody who finds themselves in a situation where they need help, they need a hand, we're called to lend that hand. Amen. Right? Not just orphans and widows. It's the most vulnerable in our society. Right? Why, did he choo- Why did James choose to refer to orphans and widows? Because in that society, being without a father or without a husband was a dangerous situation. Right? Being Growing up without a father today is normal. It's not easy, it's not fair, it's not right, but it's not uncommon. Back then it was a death sentence if you didn't have somebody to provide for you. Right? Being without a husband, common. Right? Back then, women, unfortunately, did not have the ability to own property, to earn a decent living wage. Now, as, as unfair as standards are between men and women today, it was 10 times worse then, right? Scary thing. So these were some of the most vulnerable people in our in the society then who's vulnerable in our society today shout them out the homeless immigrants single mothers people who are addicted who else see refugees absolutely the first thing that i think of when i think of vulnerable people as Pastor Mark mentioned, I'm one of the chaplains at the Middlesex House of Correction. The first population I think of are those who are in prison. These are some vulnerable people. Most grew up without a lot of income. Most grew up in situations where the education system was not up to par. Not all, but most. Too many are ethnic minorities. Too many... Don't have the education and the re- didn't have the education and the resources that they needed to succeed in life, which drove them to do whatever they did to end up in Recca in the Middlesex House of Corrections. And at that point, they had what little dignity, property, and family connection they had either stripped from them or severely diminished. Now, whether or not they deserved what they got is not the point here. The point is they are in a vulnerable state. Right? We are called to serve the vulnerable. I get the privilege, the opportunity to sit with these men 40 hours a week, five days a week, and really just enjoy their presence, get to know the strengths and the gifts that they offer, get to know how incredibly funny and insightful a lot of these guys are, right? to get to know how deeply they've been hurt in so many areas and how a lot of times they don't need anything physical. They just need somebody to hear their heart, to take their questions and concerns and pain seriously and to pray with them. And when I get the opportunity just to be the person who introduces them to the presence of God, when I get the opportunity to speak hope and life into that situation, that is some of the most deeply meaningful time that I get in my week, right? I've been in church a long time. I've been in worship services a long time. I've been singing hymns a long time. But there is no experience more spiritual, more religious, than sitting with somebody who is hurting, broken, in need, and being able to say something that's relevant to their situation and point them in the direction of our Heavenly Father. That's religion, right? Another population I think of, somebody mentioned it, is those who are addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol or addicts in general, pornography, gambling, whatever it be. But I'm thinking specifically of substance abuse. We may even have people in our congregation today who have troubles with substance abuse. Now, if that's you today, I want you to know and I want any person who finds themselves in a category that is vulnerable, I want you to know that you are loved of God. I want you to know that specifically if you're struggling with addiction, right, that doesn't make you a lost cause. That doesn't mean that all you are now is someone for somebody to serve so that they can feel good about themselves. No. God grieves the losses that you've experienced in your life. God grieves the potential and opportunities that are not being taken advantage of in your life. And God wants to restore you to health, to serve his kingdom, to be loved and to experience how deeply he cares for you. God cares. I think of our congregation here in Brighton, and we are less than 10 miles from Methadone Mile. Raise your hand if you know what Methadone Mile is. Methadone Mile is uh, maybe a two block-ish radius around Boston Medical Center uh, where a large portion of Boston's substance abuse activity occurs, right? This is where people can receive services at BMC, where people can receive therapy, where people can receive uh, the the medical attention that they need when they're uh, abusing drugs, but it's also a place where a lot of people deal drugs where a lot of people use drugs, where a lot of people overdose and die from using drugs. We're less than 10 miles. If you want to practice true religion today, you could go this very day, drive to Boston Medical Center, buy a cup of coffee from Dunkin' Donuts, walk up to somebody who seems like they're disheveled and needs a helping hand, and just have a conversation. So much of it starts with our internal perceptions of the people that we see. If we see somebody poorly dressed, like they're staggering a little bit, we automatically assume dangerous, stay away. Right? But we, do we take a moment to have a conversation with that person to learn who they are and what they've experienced? Do we? My answer so often, way too often, is no. Right? Because I'm focused on my own things that I want to be doing. Can anybody else honestly say no? I don't always practice what God is calling us to do. You, you can raise your hand if you want. Don't be ashamed. So many, for so many of us, myself included, too often... The answer is no, right? But the times where you take a moment, where you stop your busy day and speak to somebody who is in a difficult state, be they homeless, be they addicted, whatever it be. When we meet that need for companionship, fellowship, and care, we meet God, right? We practice true religion. What time am I supposed to be done? I'm so sorry, I didn't even look. I'm good? We can't be too prideful to put ourselves in that vulnerable category. When we are too closed off to allow anybody in to meet our needs, how many have needs? How many have needs? If your hand's not up, you must be a really self-sufficient person. (laughs) How many have needs? I have needs. Whether or not I want to admit it, but I'm the all set type, I'm the you know, uh, how can I help you? You know, I've got it all together. How can I help you? That's, that's, that's one of my faults. And when I do that, I deny somebody else the opportunity to meet my need and thus practice their true religion and meet God. So when you're not vulnerable before people, when you can't admit, hey, I don't have enough food in the fridge this month. Hey, I'm struggling with addiction to pornography and I really need somebody to talk about that with. Hey, I really just need companionship. I'm lonely and I, I feel a little depressed. When you don't, Express that to trusted people of God so that you can have that, meet. And that, you d- that need met. You deny somebody the opportunity to meet God, to encounter God, to pr- practice true religion. So we need to be vulnerable, right? It's not just the people whose sins and vices are visible who need help and care, who need a helping hand, right? Let's bring it into the suburbs. Who else is vulnerable? The depressed those who are addicted to gambling, those who are lonely, those who have dysfunctional family situations, right? Any one of us can find ourselves in a vulnerable category from one point or another, right? And when we have that situation in our lives, we need to be willing to open ourselves up and receive that love and care. God operates true religion through hands that move to help and hands that are open to receive. Let's put our hands into action. Lastly, the heart. Tim, did you find your heartbeat? (laughs) You got to stop bench pressing, man. (laughs) Scaring people. Verse 27, the second half, speaks of keeping our heart unstained or unpolluted by the world. It speaks of guarding our hearts. Now, God has called us to be a sort of antidote to this world. It's like the world is sick with sin, with suffering, and God has injected his church into the situation to spread life, hope, peace, the gospel, the love of Christ. Amen? You guys keep forgetting on me. God has called us to this mission, right? I imagine people who are working hazmat going into a hazardous situation with their hazmat suits on like Monsters, Inc., you know, making sure that none of the kids' pajamas touch them so they don't get infected, right? They've got their hazmat suits on, right? We are running into the world with our hazmat suits on, with the armor of God fully protecting us from the sin and the vices of this world. But how are we going to help anybody if we keep opening the valves on our hazmat suits to see what the toxins smell like? I think of the church as, or Christians, as heavy-duty rags that are used to mop up a mess. Does anybody remember the ShamWow commercials? You can sop up, like, three liters of water in 2.5 seconds with something that's, like, this big, right? We're holy ShamWows (laughs) sopping up the filth and nastiness that is in this world and redeeming it for the purposes of the kingdom of God, right? But if we're filled with dirty water ourselves, who are we going to clean? What are we going to clean, right? We need to guard our hearts to protect ourselves from what is in this world that contaminates it, right? We need to be cleansed. We can't cleanse ourselves. Now, we were all, and many of us still are, in a situation where we have a lot of pollutants in ourselves, in our hearts. I can count myself in that category. God is still cleansing me. Is anybody being cleansed this very day? God is still cleansing us so that we can help cleanse others, so that we can participate in his mission in this world to bring purity, to bring hope, and to bring love. God cleansed us so that we can clean others. But we're ineffective in that task if we are polluted by the same things that the world is polluted with. If we are infected with the same disease of sin that this world is. So God calls us to keep ourselves unpolluted by the world. Other versions of the scripture say unstained from the world, right? But God is a holy stain remover, amen. God is a holy launderer that is cleaning us so that we can clothe the world with Christ. Somebody say amen. We have to guard our heart and keep the rhythms of our heart in line with the rhythm of God's heart, right? We need to spend time in his presence. We need to hear what his word is for our life and for the lives of those around us and for our community and for our world, right? We need to hear God's heart, We need to understand who he is, who we're called to be, and what we're supposed to do in response, We need to guard our heart and keep in rhythm with God's heart. How do we do that? We're doing it right now. Spend time with the people of God. Spend time in his body, right? We are all hands, feet, hearts, tongues, heads, whatever. We're all in the body, and we need to spend time together with other members of that body, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, so that we can meet God together. Prayer, reading scripture, worshiping, fellowshipping, get in tune with God's heart that way. We need to know who God is and what his heart is so that we can guard our hearts against things that are not of him, the heart. Put your hand on your heart one more time. Pure religion that is acceptable before God the Father operates through what? The tongue, the hands, and the heart. If I could have the band come up. Does anybody want to be religious today? Does anybody want to be religious today? Does anybody want to use their tongues to honor God today? Does anybody want to make their speech line up with God's speech? Make what they say line up with what God says? Does anybody want to speak the gospel to people who need it? does anybody want to encounter God? Practice true religion. You can keep saying yes. We're getting excited. We're we're, we're leaving this place like kids hyped up on sugar. We're going to bless somebody today. Amen. This is not something to think about. This is something to put into action. Amen. There will be times and situations this day, this week, this month, where you can encounter God by practicing religion. Does anybody want to be religious? Does anybody want to use their hands to honor God? Does anybody want to care for the poor? Does anybody want to care for the orphan, the widow? Not just lift our hands in worship, we need to do that. But to use those hands to carry out the will of God. Does anybody want to take hold of God's word and bring it to somebody who needs it? Does anybody have resources that they can share with those who need them? Does anybody have love that they can share with someone? Does anybody have food in their fridge that they can share with somebody who's hungry? Right? We're called to shine the light of God in this world. We can't do that if we stay in the four walls of the church. We are the church. We're called to go out into this community. Stand to your feet, please. We're called to go into this community. Go into Brighton, into Boston. Wherever we find ourselves, our workplaces, our families, our homes, we're called to do something. Somebody say, I've got to do something. I can do something. Somebody say, I've got to say something. something. We're called to guard our hearts, keep them pure. Align them with what God has for us and for this world. are called to keep the evil out of our hearts so that we can spread the good, spread the light, spread the love. Who wants to be religious? We're going to take a moment as we sing the next few songs to respond. We need to meditate for a moment on what God is calling me to do. What God is calling you to do. Point to yourself and say, God's calling me. God's got something for you to do. What is it today? What is it this week? God's got something for you to say. What is it today? What is it this week? God's got something that wants to seep into your heart that you need to block what is it today what is it this week what is it for me we also need to reflect on what is it for us christianity faith it's not just me and god it's not just you and god it's us together what what is god calling the church to do what is god calling antioch brighton to do what is god calling antioch new england to do what is god calling all of his people everywhere to do What's on your heart? What's on our heart? What's on God's heart? Now, don't take a moment in silence and serene reflection. Get excited about it. Amen? Somebody jump a little bit. Get excited. Get excited. We're going to do something. We're going to do something. Let's sing.